It is great to be in LA. Um, my wife Kelly and I, uh, for those that don't know us, uh, used to live here in this area. We had the privilege of worshiping with this congregation, and it really is an honor to come back and see what God's done in each one of your lives. For those that are uh, here that haven't met us in the past, welcome. It's great to see you guys too. Uh, but for the old friends, it's just so, so dear, so special to be with you. Uh, I'm going to uh, share with you a little bit about our lives. Kelly and I have been married 28 years, and it's been a very exciting ride. Uh, we uh, recently have uh, an engaged daughter in our, amongst our family. Deanna was recently engaged to Dakota. Uh, they left a couple of years from here. Uh, well, they were in L.A. They went uh, to help establish the mission in uh, Tucson, Arizona. In that, that process of that mission, the, something happened. I always wondered, because he showed up at her graduation, and we had not known him, and I thought, what's this guy doing here? <laughs> well, two years later, you find out what he's doing there. So uh, January 10th, you're all invited in the Orange County building. We'll have a, a wedding here in L.A., uh, and Dan and Dakota will be married. Um, She's uh, showing off her ring. And Adrian, our youngest son, uh, graduated from high school, uh, is now in college. He became a disciple last December, and uh, he sends his greetings. He uh, uh, asked for our apologies for the times that he was a mess when he was here, but he, <laughs> it's great to see God developing his life. He's now a college freshman studying international business and running track in a Division I team, so he's all excited. Um, you see him here with Elena. Uh, we had the joy of having Elena with us. Elena's uh, uh, the middle child. Uh, she is now in Arizona, but we had the joy of having her in Boston. And uh, now she worships and is part of the uh, uh, Arizona, the Tucson, Arizona church. She's uh, leading in the campus ministry, and it's great to see her life develop as well. It's just amazing to see what God does with your life. And um, for those of us that have known us, uh, we want to express our gratitude for what you've done in developing our family, um, because this doesn't happen alone. And for those of you that are uh, here new, um, I want you to grasp a picture of what God can do with your life, because I really feel a sense of peace. Uh, pretty surprised when your daughter calls you and says she's engaged, and when uh, uh, the fiance says we're getting married in January, and you're wondering financially, how am I going to do this? And at the same time, your uh, uh, basement has uh, problems with mold. And you go, God, how is this going to happen? But it's amazing to see what he does in building a sense of peace and direction when you trust him. And so I do want to welcome each one of you to uh, a journey with God, because this is really what this is all about. So you'll be glad you did. You know, I look at my own life and I think, I'm glad I did. 31 years ago, I'm really, 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 really glad I did. I'm really glad that life has been invested into people. And as I saw the uh, different musicians here worshiping, the AV group there, the people that I've had a, jo a joy of seeing your lives develop, I'm really glad for what God permits us to do in one another's lives and in the lives of those around us. You know, in... Um, the scriptures, Jesus prays for us. It's pretty amazing that the Son of God would take the time out, not to just consider the people of that generation, but that he would think about thousands of years later about you and I. 
And you wonder what the Son of God spending time here on earth. I had the privilege of one time being in Gethsemane. And I thought, how special. He prayed for me. And you wonder, what did he pray for? What is it that was so important for the Son of God that he would focus on for you and I? And it's this concept of one. And we're going to be talking about this. God focused and wanted you and I to understand the concept of one. Because God the Father and God the Son, they're one. It's really an amazing mystery. But in that mystery, there's a beautiful, perfect relationship. And in that perfect relationship, there's a sense of oneness. And when we go, we'll go to, go to uh, John 17, where Jesus prays not only for the disciples there, but he prays for you and I. And you think, what did he pray for you? And what did he pray for me? His prayer for the church thousands of years later is that we would be one. And it's really an amazing concept as I go from churches in different parts of the world and see the oneness that we share and that when we are one with him, how amazing we are. I really want to brag about you because this is really a strength of yours, of many, many of yours. In John 17, in verse 20, he says, My prayer, he's prayed for the disciples. And the disciples are taking note. Because, you know, that's how eventually we got this written, right? But he says, My prayer is not for them. That's the apostles, the disciples that are around him there. He says, I also pray for those. That's you and I. We're the those. Those who will believe in me through their message. And in that moment, the Son of God prays for you and for me. What's he pray for? What's he want for you? Does he want a big house? Does he want everything to go perfect? Does he want us to all dress the same way? He says, pray that all of them may be one, Father. Just as you are in me and I'm in you. Because if you look through Jesus' life, his entire life was about doing the Father's will. He was about being one with the Father. And so he prays for you and I that we'll be one. May they also be in us so that, what? Why did he pray this oneness concept? It says that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you. May they be also, may they be so that the world may believe that you've sent me. You know, something special happens when we're one with one another. Something really special happens when we're one with God. Something amazing happens when, as a church, we get connected with his plan, with his attitude, with his spirit. Something changes in us. Most of us came to church the first time, not because we wanted to come, but because somebody dragged us along, right? I came because my girlfriend at the time wanted to uh, go to church, and I was, all right, I'll be with you, so I'll go with you. 30-whatever number of years later, 35 years later, She's still bringing me to church. <laughs> you know, something happened. Because I was a prideful, snobby Latino. And I would come in. Yeah, that's somebody that knows me. No. <laughs> I would come in, arms folded and analytical. 
judgmental as all. And by the third song, I'd say, give me that songbook. I'll start singing as well. <laughs> Next week, same thing. But something special happened along the way. It wasn't that there were perfect people. It wasn't a drink they gave me. Because honestly, the first time I studied the Bible, I said, give me water. I don't want anything else. I don't trust you. That's how <laughs> distrustful I was. But in the process, my guard came down. When I saw the oneness of people of all different social backgrounds, different intellectual backgrounds, and saw, wow, there's something special here, your guard starts coming down. And it's really because in a lot of ways you're really in the presence of God in seeing that oneness. Something special happens. And maybe that's happened to you, or maybe that is in the process of happening to you. That you show up and you go, I really didn't want to be here. But along the way, the guard starts coming down, and you start believing. Why? Yeah, I think there's power in the Word. I think there's power, amazing power in Christ. But He designed it that there's power in the oneness in the church. You know, when the church gets this right, people believe. Isn't that right? I mean, you come in, and you see people hesitant, going, okay, honey, I'll park the car the right way just in case if somebody, you know, does the wrong thing, I'm out of here. Then all of a sudden you see that guy that was that way not leaving. And taking more and more and more time, and the wife starts looking like, what happened to him? And it's really because in the process, that oneness does something special to us and starts transforming us. And so, you know, when the church gets this right, people do believe. And we've seen that happen. It really goes back to even in the first century. Many times people would say to uh, other people, you know what, just, just come and see, come and see. And when they came and saw Jesus, they would start believing. Because in the presence of Christ, something special happened. You saw the oneness between God and Jesus. You know, there's a woman who was known for not too good a path. And she goes to tell her friends, you got to come see him. you got to come see him. He told me everything I, about me. And the people go, yeah, well, you know, everything about you is kind of known around the neighborhood, so that's nothing special. But no, 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 not that. I mean, really, really, he, he told me everything about me. And in the process, people come and they interact with Jesus and they see and they go, now we believe. Not because of the woman. Now they believe because of themselves because they've been in the presence of God. But as a church, we have the privilege of accomplishing the same thing. And we've seen it, and it's, it, there's nothing that compares to that. You know, when you see somebody that did not believe and in the process is transformed to becoming a believer, it, something goes into your heart. You go, this is amazing that I get to be a priv privileged part of this. I had the joy of studying the Bible with a Marine a few, this last couple of years. He had been in multiple war scenes, and as a result of that, he was just a hard man. When he first showed up, he was one of those men that just could not smile, could not trust anybody. He, I, I, even to the extent that 
when, when we studied, he would go first to the place that we would study and analyze it and make sure what seat he had to have because he had to guide and define where's the exit, what's, that's, you know, the impact of where he had been. He was an atheist because of what he had seen. But he started studying the Bible, started interacting with disciples of Christ, saw the oneness, not of perfection, but the oneness of people really living this out. It's been amazing to see his faith develop, to see his smile come about, to see him start gaining trust. You know, today, today, actually, oh, it was yesterday, he got married. He got married as a disciple with a disciple of Christ, a man who had lost trust in any human being, a man who would not give himself to any relationship. He'd, he's been transformed. Why? Because he came in contact with that oneness, and he started believing. But you know, the other side of this is also true. If we don't get this right, if we get this wrong, we can become the reason people don't believe. You know, because if, if being a Christian and interacting with Christians, the result of it is that you become such a mean person, then someone goes, you know what? I don't know that I want to show up to that, right? I mean, many of us grew up in, in, in church families and as a result became atheists or agnostics. Said, I'm not going there. Why? Because there was not a oneness going on there. You know, church can be the place of most gossip in the world. It can be some of the most mean interactions in the world. And when that happens, people start losing their faith. And it's really a challenge for you and I to consider, how does my interaction with others, does it promote that faith or does it tear away from that faith? Because really, if we get this right, many believe. But if we get this wrong, oh, we can be doing such damage to future generations. You know, as a minister, I speak often. I have for many years. And I've taken this very soberly, thinking, if I don't live this out, what hope do my children have? Because if there's not a oneness with my spouse, if there's not a oneness with my brothers and sisters, if there's not a oneness in my conviction in church, then what I speak won't carry over to the house. You know what I mean? Amen. And I'd be doing more damage to their faith than good. And so parents, I really want to call us to make sure that we are one with God, that we're one with our brothers and sisters, that in our conversations, you know those little private conversations where nobody's hearing? Oh, God's hearing. And those little ones, they have amazing ears, and they hear. And they hear if there's a spirit of oneness or if there's a little, uh, well, you know what that was like. And they go, well, then they start imitating that. And their faith gets deteriorated. So I really want to ask us to consider, are we doing this right? Or are there areas where we've got to really make a decision because we've headed the wrong way? Jesus preaches about this and teaches about this. And then 30 years later, a man named Paul, starts establishing churches all throughout the Mediterranean, a lot, throughout a lot of port cities. And he carries this concept a, a, a bit further. 
As he looks at the churches and sees what's going on, really their churches at the time were small groups, they were small churches, and as he looks at them, he gives us this direction regarding this concept of oneness. And he says in Ephesians 4, if you'll join there with me, he says about this concept of oneness, make every effort. What's that sound like? A little bit of work, right? Oneness takes work. You know, making a marriage work, ta- work takes work. It doesn't just poof, happen. It takes effort to make that be one. You come into a church, and you see people of all different backgrounds, right? right? All different personalities. And you go, wow, this is not like everybody on my soccer team. You know what I mean? We don't all have the same interests. We don't all have the same commonality. That was one of the beautiful things that happened to me when I became a Christian was I was with uh, at at Brown University with another guy. We were the only two disciples in in that school. He and I could not be the furthest apart that you could be. I mean, when I was studying the Bible, he shared with Kelly, I don't know if he likes me. I don't think he can stand me. But you know, over time, we became dear friends. And the reason we became dear friends was not because we shared same likes, but because we shared God, and that brought us to become alike. And it took effort. And you know, there's some relationships that come naturally for us, right? But there's some that you go, no, this one takes effort. And that's where God gets glorified. It doesn't mean, okay, I'm going to go on this part of the building because here hang out the ones that it doesn't take effort. But over there, whoa, that's hard. No, God says, you know what, go over there and build with those because that's how I really glorify myself. And that's one of the things I love, I love about our churches. Because you can go to any one of our churches and you see all kinds of ethnicities. It's not a white church, it's not a black church, it's not a Latino church, it's not an Asian church, it's not an Asian church. It's a church. Because it takes effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. He emphasizes this concept of one. Notice how much he drills it in. He says, there is one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. He goes on some more. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Wow. You think he's trying to drill it down? He's trying to create not 10, not 100, but one. One made up of very different personalities. One made up of very different skills. But it's one body. He goes on. He says, but. But what? But okay, if there's one, are we all good for the same thing? No. No. See, Paul analyzed that church, the churches and he realized, you know what? This is made up of people that are very different. You know, this morning we got to participate in worship really led by people that are awesome at that. I hope you, you notice. I mean, I get to see churches in multiple places. You guys are pretty spoiled. It's like, wait, okay, that was the concert. Now what are we going to do? But you get to participate in it too. You know, some of us don't have the voices, right? But we can at least go, you know what? I was part of that. <laughs> Happens in my household. You know, the, the girls have great voices. And my son has great voice. I, Kelly and I, eh, you know. <laughs> but we can say, you know, we're part of it. 
Now, each one of us has different gifts. If you bring the sound team and you put them up here, not the right crowd. Now, you keep them in the sound team, and they do amazing, and they help everything come together, right? But that's the gifts that God has given each one of us. You know, Anthony talked about how different he was than other people. And I love that God loves our differences because he wants to bring those out and apply them to his church. He says in Ephesians 4, but to each one, each one, if you're here, you're part of that one. Each one of us, grace has been given. And grace, this is not in terms of I forgive you grace. It means gifts. He's given you gifts. And particularly, in order to build his church, he's given you a specific gift that he hasn't given other people. And that as a result of you giving your best, others can go, oh, I can learn from that. You know, Laura Garcia is an evangelism machine. She always has been. I just talk to her a little bit, and I hear about what she's doing, and I go, okay, i got to learn. And that's good. God gave her that gift. Now, each one of us has different gifts. Robert Lichfield has this thing going on right here, you know? And it just, I don't know if it's a gift, but it, okay. There is definitely not something I'm going to get anytime soon. Anyway, back to this. He's been given as Christ apportioned it. Who's the divider of the gifts? Who hands them out? So they're his gifts. You know, I used to take great pride in my skills until I figured out they're his gifts. If I don't use them, I'm ripping him off. If I use them, I'm using what he gave me. God has given you gifts to build his church. He says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Even in the leadership group, there's different skill sets. Some are better at teaching. Some are much better at shepherding. You guys have the mosses and the new fields. What amazing people at shepherding. And you want to learn about that? You got to go hang out with them and go, you know what? How do I do this? You have pastors, you have teachers. Well, what for? He says the purpose of these people are to equip his people for works of service. So God's plan is that every single one of us will be equipped. So part of coming to church, it is to be equipped so that you're trained. It's not just to be fed. It's so that you get prepared to accomplish something. He says, so that, so that what? So that the body of Christ, he calls this thing a body. He looks at church as a body, one unit. He really defines something that for some of us, we've heard this a long time. Some are like, what is this all about? Paul defines church as the body of Christ. How many bodies? One body. So if I'm going to come into the presence, in the, in, into the interaction with Christ, where am I going to do that? With the body. It's when I am part of and when I am in contact with the body, with the church, 
that I'm the closest today, 2014, the closest I can be to Jesus is when I'm in the presence of Christ, when I'm interacting, when I am participating in the body of Christ. And you know it. When you do it, you feel like, wow, this is what I was created for. But in order to do so, you got to give your skill set to that body. And when you do, something special happens that you feel, I understand what I'm really good at, what he really created me for. And in that, there's variety. Each one of us is very different. What's he want to do? He says, so that the body of Christ may be built up and we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. There's a process of maturing. As we work as a church, as we work as an individual, you come in and you don't come in all mature already. Some of the things, you hear them and they just do not register. But over time, they start registering and you go, wow, this makes total sense. You know, I remember becoming a Christian and hearing the scripture about cast all your anxieties on Christ and saying, okay, I'm such an anxious beast, I've got to learn how to do this. And I learned it at one level. But I'm amazed at what he's done over years. As I consider the levels of pressure that are on my life today and the peace I feel, I go, wow, he's transformed me. That's called maturing. In the same way, he's wanting to do that with each one of us, and he's wanting to do that with the church. You know, some of our relationships, you come into church and you feel like, this isn't too mature. And we've got to grow, right? Now, the amazing thing is he takes our own immaturities and he's trying to build them so that the body of Christ can be built up and reach unity. Through that immaturity, disunity shows itself. As we mature, we start valuing and respecting each other's differences. We're not looking analytical or critical at each other, but we're looking to build each other up. It's not so much about, wow, look at me, but you start looking at the value of others and then you start getting united with each other. It says, in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What's he wanting? That as we grow more and more, It's less you, less me, less difference in terms of differences of opinion, differences in terms of character and abilities all day long, but more full of Christ and less full of us. And that as a church, it's less full of us, our opinions, our views, and more full of him. It says, then speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head that is Christ. You know, it's an amazing thing when you don't see somebody over a little time. Because, you know, you, you forget about it, right? But then when I haven't seen you three, for three years, I go, wow! You've changed radically. I look at this crowd over here, and I knew your older brothers and sisters in that crowd over there. Now it's like, wow, look at this. This is like the second generation behind them. They're growing and maturing. Now in that same way, God's looking for all of us to continue growing and mature. It says, grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who's the head that is in Christ. 
You know, he desires for us as a church to show that to the world and for the world to be able to come in and to see, wow, what do I feel? I feel Christ, his love, his forgiveness, his mercy, not his judgment, but his desire to bring me in. That's part of our maturing. It says, from him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. You know, as I look at you and some of the, that I knew many years ago, it's exciting to see a whole new generation of people doing the work of God. You know, at times we've been through churches where you see 10, or, or even organizations where you see 10% of the people or 20% of the people doing 80% of the work, right? But that's not God's plan. God's plan is for every single one of us to participate. He says here, each part does its work. And so maybe you greeted people on the door and felt, well, what's my job here? Okay, that's what I do. Or maybe you served as an usher, or maybe you sang, or maybe you took care of children. And at times we lose sight of how does that fit into the body of Christ? But you know what happens sometimes? Many times. Someone is greeted by someone. And that someone then comes in and is hugged by another someone. And then another someone leads songs. And another someone prays. And another someone speaks. And another someone gets to know. And another someone says, let's study the Bible. And another someone in the process builds a great friendship. And in that process, that someone that first came gets transformed into a whole new being, gets baptized into Christ, and he's a whole new creation. Why? Because all those little someones did their part. Why did I put up those pictures up front? Because many, many someones helped our marriage here. Many someones saw our children go through kingdom kids, preteen, teens, college, and to see them develop. Is it to God's glory? Oh, it is in my eyes, because I know I couldn't have done it. But as I look at my family, it's the outcome of each part doing their work. So from the Amaya family, I want you to hear how grateful we are for each one of those someones. And as I walk that little girl up the aisle, I want you to feel that you were part of building that marriage. Each part does its work. You know, if you're coming in and visiting this church and going, what is this all about? You know, it was said up front. It's God's family, the body of Christ, trying to bring him glory. You know, when each part does its part, people become a part. But it requires that each part do their part. And so in closing... We need you to be a somebody in this body. I'm so grateful for what this congregation has meant for missions throughout Latin America, what it's meant for so many people here in L.A. 
And that's because many somebodies have decided to give themselves to this body. But I know that in a group this size, there's other somebodies that are still wondering, should I? Should I give of myself? Do I really have anything to give? You know, the Scripture said you do. Whether you're a teenager, whether you're in your 70s, regardless of your stage in life, where you're at right now, God wants you to be a somebody in this body. You know, it's something amazing when you find your click, your niche, where you can give of yourself. There's a self, an identity that you realize, this is me in the body. I was talking to Craig Dickens about his love for children. And he takes great pride in pouring his heart into children for over a decade there with the kids. Because as he sees them grow up, he says, you know what, I get to be part of this. He tells me, you know what, I did not think I'd make it to 40. But to be able to see what God's done with my own life, but also with the lives of those that I get to impact, that is a somebody giving himself to this body. And so I want to ask you to consider in what way do you need to take a step forward in giving your heart more to build his body. We're going to close with a very special moment today because somebody that has been a significant somebody here is coming back to the body. It's a joy for me because I've had the privilege of being part of Michael Agabao's life. And so, you know, God has his way of just uh, spoiling you when you get to see moments like this and to participate with the congregation in such a special way. I hope you today decide, I'm glad I did. I'm glad I decided to take a step forward in giving of the gifts that God has given me to help build this body. And in that, we'll bring, bring glory to God. Love you and thank you for your time.